the world has been thrown into a VUCA model at the extreme as a result of the pandemic. And in terms of responding to that as leaders, I think it calls for um, a, a speed of response that we're not used to or that we haven't been used to. So operating at a much higher pace um, and making decisions with little information much faster. So I think that really does change as a leader, the need for fast decision-making with limited information. Hi, this is Julie Hyde. Thanks for joining me on Making Account, a podcast dedicated to inspiring leaders and business owners to be even better leaders, to create a great culture, empower their people and be more productive. So let's get into it. My guest today is Helen Fairclough. With 30 years experience in Australia and internationally, Helen returned to her hometown Melbourne in 2014 to join the award-winning Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre, the MCEC, as Director of People and Culture. Recently acting as the Chief Operating Officer, Helen has currently been appointed to an interim role as the Director of Business Relaunch at MCEC, a role that Helen shares a bit about in this podcast. Now, when I first met Helen, she was talking about how the MCEC had won Employer of the Year Award three times, an award that is not easy to achieve, especially for a hospitality business the size of the MCEC. And in this podcast, you will start to understand how they did this. Now, I really love this podcast and I could have chatted to Helen forever. There are so many leadership and team engagement tips and insights that Helen shares that will benefit anyone who listens in. It goes without saying that the MCEC has been terribly impacted by this pandemic and it's really heartening to see how the leadership within that organization are really supporting their employees. So Helen generously shares how the MCEC is using this opportunity to be innovative and disrupt the sector. Three things that contributed to the MCEC being awarded Employer of the Year three times. The biggest leadership shifts this pandemic has caused and three things leaders need to focus on moving forward. So I know that you're going to enjoy this um, chat with Helen. So grab a pen and paper uh, and perhaps grab a coffee and sit back and enjoy. Helen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. And I've been really looking forward to our chat for months now and I feel like we've got lots to talk about. So shall we just jump into it? Absolutely. Amazing. So you've had such a breadth of experience, including working in Monaco, which I would love to know more about in another conversation. But can you background how you've landed to where you are today? Well, I guess um, kind of not a straightforward path, I would say. Um, interestingly, I sort of started my my career off very early on in more of a kind of finance payroll, even though I didn't have that formal qualification background. And then I found myself 
in human resources or personnel as it was as dating myself as it was known back in the day uh, through the payroll channel interestingly so that was kind of how I got my first start in in the human resources space but then after several years of working in um, the field of, of HR I think one of the things that became evident to me was that we really to be a successful HR person have to understand business so I was quite keen to really get more involved in business and get my head into business and so I studied part-time in terms of kind of the business element being um, more the entrepreneurial side. I studied a Master's of Entrepreneurship and Innovation and I think that was really beneficial because it really gave me a whole host of skills around what it's like to start up a business, to sort of bootstrap, what the skills are that you need. There's a lot of kind of financial acumen, a lot of marketing, things you don't normally spend time learning about in the HR function that has served me really well. And from there, you know, I've I've stayed in in HR for the majority of my career, but I have had the opportunity actually when I was in Monaco to work for a consulting firm that was a startup. And when I joined them, there were only four employees and we grew quite rapidly and during that time I was asked to wear multiple hats so at times I was the chief operating officer at times I was the director of business development at times I was the project manager sometimes I was um, like a financial or a um, functional analyst on a systems project so I had a very you know as you do in startups you just jump in so I think that served me well to Mm. allow me to um, after joining MCEC take on the role of Chief Operating Officer after being in HR uh, for a sort of a temporary period, which was just recently in January. And I know that's an unusual opportunity for an HR person to get, but I think uh, having had that sort of eye always on business and always wanting to be understanding the business and getting my head into the business has really helped position me to be thought of at the executive table as not just the HR person, whilst that's really important, but someone who is actually a business person at the end of the day. Yeah, that's such a great point that you make. I think that is really, really critical for HR people. To be a good HR person is to understand the business element because the people in the business really have to align if we're going to get great outcomes, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So now you're the, the you're the director of business relaunch at the Melbourne um, Convention <laughs> and Exhibition Centre, yes. and as an event function hospitality organisation, which is huge, it's been severely impacted by the pandemic. Um, but you've been doing some really amazing things in the background to be able to stand up as many as your employees as possible, of which you have thousands. Yes. So can you share a little bit with our listeners about how you have been impacted by COVID-19 and what you've been doing around some of these really innovations uh, that your team have been putting together? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yes, severely impacted is a great way of putting it. So I think effective sort of... um, Late March, we had to stand down uh, over a 1,000 employees and we had no revenue coming in. And very quickly we found ourselves actually in financial difficulty because uh, whilst we're a a public sector agency uh, on the surface, we actually are fully commercially independent business. So we generate our own revenue, we pay our own way, we don't have any government funding and, in fact, we pay a giant mortgage or loan back to government once a year, an annual mortgage payment, which is quite had been quite a cash cow for 
the government. And also we generated a lot of economic um, business along the way with people coming into the state and accommodation and food and dining and transport attached to movement as they attended events at our venue. So not only did it impact us, but it actually impacted the state of Victoria quite dramatically when our doors closed. So of our workforce, there's a a huge cohort, over 600 that are in the casual uh, category. Some of them have been with us a short time, some a long time, varying work patterns. But then we had about 280 full-time employees And so uh, what we determined is that to keep the lights on and keep the compliance elements running, we really only needed about 27 people in a kind of critical incident team. So that's the team that were up and running and started working. And our real focus was to understand how we could secure our financial viability, which meant we did have to go to government and request funding given that we weren't eligible for JobKeeper. So we did focus our energy on that. Once we got a little bit of funding, which actually runs out at the end of September as it happens, we said, okay, we've we've, um, supported our employees. We can make sure that they're financially supported. Let's turn our attention to what is this business going to be when we come out the other side of this pandemic and how can we be in the best possible position to be prepared for that, ready to open our doors, et cetera. So, The approach we took was uh, our CEO, Peter King, basically discussing our board of trustees, uh, you know, a concept around a business relaunch. And he suggested that uh, rather than me finish up my short-term assignment as the chief operating officer, which I was due to because the chief operating officer was due back from long service leave um, and return back to HR, that in fact I I move over and take on a, a brand new role as the director of business relaunch in an interim period and that that role would be uh, a sort of really two focuses. The first would be about a one stream of work, which is all really around restoring, retaining and sustaining our traditional business and another stream of work, which is really about shaping and shifting our business for new opportunities, new revenue streams, really looking at positively disrupting our own industry, given that we're disrupted anyway. So let's let's take control or charge of that. And so uh, once it was agreed that that's what I would do, I took on that role sort of in um, mid-April, early May, and started to look at our organisation through the lens of a, as a startup, really, and apply agile uh, methodology and new ways of working, and really developed kind of a, a team of teams. So we set up a, a, an ideas funnel. We started to gather ideas that could um, perhaps you know generate new business, explore new markets, you know um, potentially create some economic benefit back to Victoria. And we also started to look at things that might help us get back on our feet in the new business area. So things like our operational readiness for, um, you know, the COVID environment and what did we need to do to make our venue safe and developing a venue safe plan. Uh, And so to do that, uh, we established this process of assessing the ideas, scoring the ideas, and then standing up small teams of people cross-functionally across the business to work on those ideas remotely and explore them. And so we've ended up with over 100 employees working in teams of six to eight, all virtually, uh, and uh, they have a methodology that we've put in place where they uh, basically do daily stand-ups, so it's using all agile new ways of working. Uh, They have a method of looking at the financial viability of the idea, whether there's a market for it, whether um, there's a customer, et cetera, et cetera. 
And at the end of that exploration, they come out of that to determine, should we progress this idea and should we actually go and deliver it? Or, uh, or should we say, actually, no, that one's a sort of fast fail and let's move on to something else. So it's really that kind of innovative, entrepreneurial startup mentality. And it has meant that um, the feedback we've had from employees is it's totally different work to what they normally do. So I've had people like chefs and others who normally wouldn't be doing anything like this on these sort of teams calls every day, working with people from other departments they would never normally work with, exploring an idea. One example of that is uh, we just launched a new product coming out of that called Virtual Events. We built our own studio and we're now up and running and ready to accept sort of um, virtual events. And we've also got a product evolution committee that's looking at evolving that product for hybrid events. So that's one idea that went through the funnel. We stood up a cross-functional team. We had a chef on that team. I remember when we appointed her to the team, Renee, she said, I just... I just don't know why you want me on this team. I'm not quite sure what I can add. I don't know anything about virtual events. And I said, that's exactly the point, that you will bring, you'll be the person who will ask the difficult questions, who will challenge, who will bring a bit of a customer mindset because you'll say, well, hang on, I don't understand that. That's jargon. It's technical. What do you actually mean? And I think um, you'll be that sort of uh, voice of reason for a team that's probably heavily technically oriented, and so they need that challenge. And she came out of it and she said it was just the most amazing experience. She'd never worked with any of those people across the business before on anything, and she learned so much in the process. And I think for them, they all said it was just so good because we'd think, oh, yeah, that makes sense, and then Renee would say, excuse me, question, um, that doesn't quite make sense. And they'd be like, oh, you're right. So having kind of these teams I think has allowed us to break out of our silos to think differently, to think a little bit outside the box, to challenge the status quo and uh, to get team members working with each other. And I think they've actually got, um, you know, they're really enjoying it. So that a lot of them have actually said to me, I know that, you know, we will open the doors eventually and get business as usual, but I've learned so much working in this way. I'd like to see how we could take that back into our day-to-day business. So, yeah, that's what we've been doing. So whilst we don't have the doors open, we are very much open for business in the sense that we're exploring all of these ideas and we have a whole bunch of ideas in the funnel ready to go. Um, A lot of them are a little top secret, so I can't can't tell you too much about them. Um, But we did also run something we called Unconventional Ideas as an activity two weeks ago where we ran a almost crowdsourced process. So we opened it up to all of our employees to submit ideas They voted on the top 12 ideas and then over two and a half days we ran almost like a hackathon where we got external people involved as well and they worked in teams of eight to explore these 12 ideas. We had a judging panel which they had to pitch their idea back to, a bit like Shark Tank. We had four winners and then um, those ideas have now gone into delivery so you'll be hearing um, some of those new products hopefully launching on the market soon. Oh, that's so exciting and such a great opportunity. Your employees have been saying like they've got so much out of being able to, I suppose, pause and look at the business differently and um, think of innovative ideas as to how we can deliver in a different way and the diversity amongst the teams, like people are getting to know each other that, you know, haven't worked with each other. So it can only be of benefit to the organisation in the long term. Mm, exactly, yeah. And I suppose, you know, it, it's in these challenging times where we have to look at the, the opportunity That's in it. the challenge and what can come out of it. So, 
Fantastic. So I did see your launch of the virtual events, which, you know, it, it looks fantastic. So I'm sure when we can, you're going to have a lot of uptake with that. It's just a matter of, of when. Yes, yes like, exactly. Sooner rather than later. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. So I think in this, in what you've just shared, um, when I first met you, you were the um, People and Culture Director mm-hmm. for the business and you were sharing how the MCEC had been awarded the Employer of the Year for three years in a row. And that's just an amazing achievement, especially for a hospitality business of the size of your organisation. And I know that this is something that so many organisations would love to achieve, like it's on their bucket list. Um, and as I said, through the story you shared before, it's really evident that you have such a massive focus on your employees and really think of ways that you can engage them in the process of the business. Um, so if you had to limit it down to three things, what do you think were the keys to achieving that award three times? Yes. Oh, gosh, that does seem like a lifetime ago now, but it wasn't that long ago that we met. Yeah. Uh, so... I think, you know, you are right. One thing that's important to us is the employee experience. And I would say that our work is never done. So I couldn't put it in the box of tick. Yes, we've done that. I think it, the expectations of employees evolve constantly and rapidly. And so we're always working on the employee experience. But I do think that the work we put in to uh, seek out their opinions around the employee experience, what what they enjoyed, what they didn't enjoy. Um, At that point in time, a couple of years ago, we did a bit of employee experience work and we used design thinking methodology and we used sort of small focus groups to really hear the voice of the employee around, you know, what, what do I enjoy? And that led us to redesign a number of things like reward and recognition, uh, but it did also emphasise the good things that we have and how we needed to build on those. So the things that came out really strongly were around um, the culture that we had built in the business and that, that it's a really empathetic culture, that it's a, it feels like a family, um, regardless of the size of the business, that we're very focused on collaboration. I think it's a, it's a kind business. You know, we're sort of, uh, I think, the industry that we're in by virtue of what it does, it, you know, is in service of others. So it's a very kind of supportive kind uh, business as a whole and that's definitely the culture that's shone through. People are really proud to work at MCEC and I think that's one of the things that during that employee experience process where we were doing our design thinking, we said, right, here's clearly some things we need to focus on, which we tackled pretty quickly around reward, recognition, a couple of other items around how we uh, engage with the workforce, communicate with them, But then there were a whole bunch of things that came out of it that said, actually, you've got that right. You know, we like the culture. We like these things about the culture. We just need to celebrate them more and and emphasise them. So I would put the first bucket of your one out of of three is all around the employee experience. And, and, you know, we've done that work a couple of times. We need to constantly revisit that. Now, I know um, Amanda Wilson, who's who's acting as the Director of People and Culture, uh, whilst I'm in my temporary second role now, um, is doing an awesome job and has had a particularly challenging temporary assignment. I don't think any of us, when I went off to be the Chief Operating Officer and she went to step in behind me, had thought that we would encounter a pandemic. 
during our temporary assignments. So that's one for the case studies. Um, <laughs> but she's done an awesome job. And I know that she and I have talked a lot about how do we continue to focus on the employee experience and that once the doors open, that's a, a, a real area that she will continue to work on. So I think that's one of the three. I think the second is the investment in, in the talent and our people. So ensuring that we focused on developing, identifying, developing our high potential employees, developing our leaders. And really, we saw a lot of information coming out of our customer, our employee survey to indicate that um, perhaps leaders weren't at the level that our employees wanted them to be at. So we worked really hard to develop the leaders and we saw that needle shift dramatically. I think it was a 16% point shift in our employee engagement survey around how employees viewed their leaders over the space of a year after we implemented that training. So some really big impacts from developing our leaders. Um, We also did a lot of work around skills matrix, sort of in the more detailed technical skill areas in the business and making sure that employees had the skills that they needed to go and, and undertake some of the more technical tasks a lot of work around career development and we introduced um, sort of this concept of the temporary transfer, which I've certainly benefited from and so has Amanda, but employees across the business, I think it just freed up the mindset that you don't actually have to be an expert in an area to go and try that job for three months or six months. And we had a lot of parental leave, a lot of people taking long service leave, and we thought what better way to give people the opportunity to dip a toe in the water and help them map out their career by experiencing something new, um, but use this temp transfer. So we started moving people around to areas they've never worked in before. And I have to say, it's been hugely successful. The feedback has been really overwhelmingly supportive of that as a model. So number two for me would be investing in our talent. Um, And look, just recently, whilst all of this has been happening, we've made LinkedIn learning seats available to all of our employees. So Amanda's done a great job and that's been, um, you know, that's a huge benefit for an employee to have access free of charge to a LinkedIn learning seat. So that's been, even our casual employees have been offered that. So And then we've also offered out a $500 learning credit to every employee to spend on whatever they would like. So if they want to go and do basket weaving or uh, learn Japanese, it doesn't matter what it is, they can can do that and we'll pay pay for it. So while we've got this downtime, we're trying to also allow employees the opportunity to develop both personally and professionally. And I think that investment really pays off in, in the employee base. Uh, the, the third would be um, in our health and wellbeing space. And that's something that's really a partnership between people and culture and our safety and security function. Um, and in particular, our safety, um, senior manager of safety and security, Darren Horn, has done an awesome job in focusing clearly in the mental health space, which is even more important now, but has always been really important to us. Um, of course, our health and safety is in that list. But implementing a whole bunch of things in that space around yoga, um, uh, you know, uh, different mindfulness activities, PT, so getting kind of all the sporting health elements. But then the wellbeing side, we have a peer support program where we've trained up um, a number of employees in mental uh, health first aid and they're able to buddy up with their colleagues. So there's a kind of really um, fantastic program there. We did a black dog audit to determine baseline where our mental health is at and what we need to do 
um, moving forward. And we've actually just redone some of that survey work in the last week, which Darren is leading a piece of work to uh, plan our mental health strategy moving forward. So I think that focus on employee health and well-being, both the physical and the mental, uh, is another of the three kind of or the third of the three um, areas which I think have differentiated us and and helped with that employer of choice. Yeah, I can, I can see how that would absolutely benefit the organisation. And as you say, it's all around the employee, but the investing in the learning even now is something that, you know, a lot of organisations could potentially take on board because we are going to come out of this eventually and the more engaged um, the employees are, the faster we're going to be able to hit the ground running and, you know, really get back on track as fast as possible. So, Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for sharing. That's amazing. And I think when I did first meet you, you emphasised the point that this, was really heavily supported from the top down um, and that was also a key to the success. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we used a lot of that bench, benchmarking and baselining of, you know, here's what the data is telling us from our engagement survey, here's what the data is telling us from our design thinking focus groups and then once we've implemented these things, actually we've gone back out, done pulse surveys, done engagement surveys, uh, redone some of that design thinking uh, focus group work and we can see the needle has moved and so I think when you've got the facts and the data and you're talking to boards and our board of trustees and our people and cultures committee and our uh, CEO and obviously my peers in the executive team when you can show the impact uh, in that way then I think that also helps reinforce that these are the right things to do. Yeah absolutely. So in talking about leaders, um, this podcast mm. is about enabling leaders to be the best that they can be. Um, so what do you think has been the biggest shift for leaders caused by this pandemic and what do you think that they will need to really focus on in the future? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, look, it's funny because I uh, lecture at the Venue Management Association on the topic of leadership and one of the things that is in my um, my sort of PowerPoint deck, if you like, as part of that the lecture notes is around um, VUCA, you know, the sort of volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity. And I used to talk to the students about the VUCA environment and where we are and I use a case study of, you know, what happened to the taxi service when Uber came in and that they weren't expecting to be in the VUCA model but they found themselves in a highly kind of uncertain, not regulated, volatile, ambiguous situation and and it's how, how do you respond to that? And I think um, the entire industry, in, in our case our entire industry, but I think, you know, the world has been thrown into a VUCA model at the extreme as a result of the pandemic. And in terms of responding to that as leaders, I think it calls for um, a, a speed of response that we're not used to or that we haven't been used to. So operating at a much higher pace um, and making decisions with little information much faster so I think that really does change as a leader the need for fast decision-making with limited information and being able to say, look, I made the decision today. And in fact, I remember when I was in the COO role only a couple of months ago, I was I was leading the critical incident management team because that was the role that's 
part of the role. And I remember standing up in front of the, the audience and saying, we're making this decision today based on the information that we have available to us. I may make a different decision tomorrow because I have different information available to me and that is the new world that we're in. And I think that's really different. I mean, most people would have said, you know, only a month or two before that, oh, this is wishy-washy, we were going in this direction and now we're going in that direction. So it, it shifts, I think, the role of the leader is that actually you do need to make decisions and you need to make them with limited information and they may not be right, but if you don't make the decision, um, there's actually uh, a cost of that as well. There's an impact of being indecisive. So getting, I think, um, becoming more decisive would be one of the, the outcomes, I think, of this and the speed at which decisions have to be made with limited information. I think the other is about sort of the creativity and innovation. You know, this ambiguity and the uncertainty and the complexity is that you need to think outside the box to solve the problem. And you need to be more innovative and more creative. And I don't think that, you know, you you can no longer be the person who has all the answers. So in the old model, the command and control model of a leader, the heroic kind of manager um, knew all, could do all, could solve every problem. That that's gone. That's I mean, it has been gone for a while, if I'm gonna be perfectly honest. If I think you're a modern leader, you don't think that way but I still think there's elements of that sitting around in a sort of hierarchical model and there's a lot of people who got to the positions they're in today because of that command and control model and so it's a really big shift for people who've always worked in that way to suddenly say you know what I actually don't have all the answers I don't really know but I need to harness the diverse talent in this organization to collectively solve the problem. And so that's a big shift as well for people. And it's not the most senior person in the room or the highest paid person that has all the answers. It's it's um, it's definitely about harnessing. And that's certainly what we've tried to do with these teams of teams that are working, you know, self-managed and um, autonomously solving these problems. And we've got 100 people working on, you know, 12 or 15 different problems at any one time which, you know, you couldn't do as one single person as a leader. So it just makes more sense to, to run a business in that way, I think. But that's one thing coming out of this. I think that that, that heroic old-style manager, that, that's gone. And the third, I would say, would be uh, linked to not being able to solve all the problems and not being able to solve it on your own and innovation and creativity being required is partnerships. I think collaboration and partnerships has become more important than ever before. Uh, how can we help each other? We're, you know, we've certainly found through our activity that as we're reaching out to do a bit of, um, you know, market research, partnership research on some of the ideas we have, people are saying, oh, do you have that problem too? We've also got that problem. Perhaps we could work together to solve that problem. And we've formed some new partnerships in the last three months that I can honestly say we would never have thought about in the last five, ten years of this business. So that's been really exciting, but I also think it means that as a leader, you need to think about collaboration beyond your own walls and how can you and how can your teams collaborate with people outside of your business, certainly outside of your own department, but most definitely outside of your own business, even out of your industry, because I think we can all learn so much from each other and other industries as well that are doing things well or doing things differently. Um, so that would be my, my other, um, I think, difference as a leader is that external focus, the partnerships, and they're not being um, focused on solving it on your own. Yeah, 
Awesome, awesome advice. And it is such a big shift in mindset for many leaders, um, particularly those who have been a leader for a long time, because it can be a you know self-imposed expectation that they have to have all the answers. But of Absolutely. course, we don't, we can't. <laughs> no one's no. been through this now. So being yeah. vulnerable and letting other people in and, um, you know, as you say, just using that diverse intelligence that you have amongst you but also external to you. Such yeah. great advice. And look, the other thing I noticed is kind of this concept of the pivot, which is very much that agile language. But, you know, being able to say, okay, we were working on this thing. Um, that's not going to be successful. That's a fail, but that's okay. You know, it's not a bad thing. Fail fast. Let's now pivot to something new. And it's that just, I think, that comfort with the ambiguity, the comfort with not having all the answers. But it is very, very different to the way we have worked as leaders for many years. Yeah, totally. And the different meaning around the fail, like the fast Mm. fail. Okay, that's great. All right, that tried, tested, out. Let's focus forward. So, yeah, I love that. Gosh, I could talk to you forever, Helen, I think. So... (laughs) Um, I always like to, um, in my podcast, um, the podcast is called Making It Count, and I love to ask my um, guests, you know, how would you like to be remembered or how do you feel you're making a difference in your world? Mm. Yeah, great question. I think um, looking back at the time in the COO role and I was thinking, well, how would I like to you know, when I came into that role, I thought, well, I clearly don't know anything about operations. You know, I've got a really talented team of operations managers working for me who were probably thinking, why on earth if they put the HR person in as the COO? And I thought, well, what can I bring to this? And I thought what I can bring is, um, you know, coaching and mentoring, guiding, uh, helping them become better leaders, helping with their own career development. And so I was really focused on Um, my legacy out of that would be around helping to sort of coach and grow those individuals. I think I'm a relatively good communicator, so my legacy to to that team was also how can I improve the communication um, that both within the team and externally. So it's funny because I do kind of think in those terms, you know, what do I want to leave behind or what can I bring to this? Because you can't always bring the traditional subject matter expertise into a function. So, uh, you know, you do have to think differently. So I've thought about that as well for the business relaunch role that I'm in now. And I think for me, it's sort of saying that, well, when people look back at my time in this business relaunch, what would I like them to say? I think uh, um, we've we've used this mandate of progress over perfection. And I've been quite honest with the team that I'm not an expert in agile. Like I literally had started on that path of um Agile, uh, introducing new ways of working, partnering with an organisation called Epic. I did an Agile certification um, just, you know, in February. So I'm really new. So being able to be vulnerable about that and open and say, I'm learning. And so if people look back at my time in this role, I love them to be able to say, well, Helen was really open and honest about the fact that she was learning too and she's trying to move forward and progress with it, but it might not be perfect and it might be a bit bumpy along the way, uh, but always being authentic about that. So that's definitely how I'd like to be remembered is that I was 
authentic and um, I'm talking about as though I'm no longer here. That sounds a bit weird. But um, <laughs> but, but in, during my time in the role that, you know, I was really honest and open about the fact that I'm not an expert, that we're learning, we're in it together, we're experimenting, we're trying things that may or may not work um, and that, you know, just being really open to, to the fact that um, we're not experts and that we're progressing, we're not perfect. So that would be one thing I'd really like to be remembered for. The other is the cultural element, and I think that does sort of harken back to my roots as, as an HR person in that I think what we've done in this business in the last few months is actually take us on a cultural, go through a cultural shift, like a massive cultural transformation, which is, Odd when you think about the fact that we had on our work plan and our strategy, and I think when I presented uh, around the Employer of Choice Award, which you attended, Julie, that we talked about what's next for MCEC, and it was all about this introducing new ways of working and agile into the business, and that that was on our strategic plan. Now, that was a like a three-year plan. Well, that's happened in three months. So it's sort of fast-tracked to the extreme, and I, and I really... Um, I think people will look back at this time and say, yeah, it was a trying time, it was a challenging time, but, hey, we approached it with positivity and optimism and we tried to give this new thing a go and actually as a result we've had a cultural shift in the business. We've become more agile, we've become more nimble, we've developed some new capability, we've um, got that diversity of thought going, we're harnessing the talent in our business um, and I think, you know, the organisation is trying to solve the problem, not one person. Everyone's in it together trying to collectively solve that problem. And that cultural shift is really, like, as I said, I think we've always had a really good culture at MCEC, but I think I feel really proud that I can come out of this saying we've actually really shifted the culture to a more of a, an agile, new ways of working style. Uh, and I think if we tried to do it without the pandemic, it, it, three months, there's no way it would have been a, a three-year exercise because we would have had business as usual getting in the way of trying to upskill people and trying to get them focused on all these activities, whereas we've got nothing. We have no revenue, no business, so it's like, right, you might as well be working on this stuff because at, at least that's exciting things to be working on. You're working with colleagues you don't normally work with. You're learning new things. And we do try to make the teams kind of um, realised pretty early on that actually it's also about fun, like this is not life or death here, so have a bit of fun with it. Mm. Uh, So I think, yeah, the cultural shift is something that I think I'd like to be really proud of as well as maybe some new products being launched that can actually earn us some revenue, Um, perhaps being able to um, position the business, diversify the business, positively disrupt the industry. I'd love some of that to come out of it. I think they're pretty big asks in the current environment, but we're certainly giving it our best shot. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, just living up to the culture we have at MCEC and our values, which is kind of all about that courage, creativity, curiosity, collaboration, and that's really what what um, yeah, I'd want to be known for. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me sharing that, you know, we use this term, we're in it together, but I, you guys are really walking your talk in that space. So, and I love hearing that. So thank you so much for sharing. And thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. That's and great. I will share the links out for, you know, MCEC so people can follow and hear about the new innovations that yeah. hopefully will launch really soon and understand when they can be part of the virtual events. I think everyone, well, I would think everyone 
in Victoria and even within Australia has been to the MCEC at least once because so many massive events are held there, team events, you know, it's such an institution here. So I look forward to it getting back on its feet really quickly and um, and with you being involved, I'm sure it's going to come back bigger and better. So oh, thank, you. <laughs> thank you for being part of it, Helen. I uh, appreciate the time, Julie. It's great. Thanks for listening. And I hope that you have gained some great ideas and feel inspired to get out there and make what you do count for your leadership, your business, and your life. Please do leave a review for this podcast and please share it with your network. Send any feedback or suggestions for future guests by emailing me, julie at juliehide.com.au. For now, let's get out there and make it count.